So 1 John chapter 4, we're looking there this, this morning. We've been going through the, the epistle of 1 John, and now we've made our way all the way to chapter 4. And let's, if you're able to, stand in honor of God as we read his word together this morning. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. And Father, we do ask for that encouragement. We ask for wisdom We ask that you would give us the ability to to discern your truth and and to teach it rightly, to to respond to it rightly. We thank you for how you have worked within this church by your grace to help us to know you, to bring us to this point. And we ask for just continued protection from false doctrine, from complacency, We pray that our our church will be faithful to proclaim you and to prepare others to worship you forever. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Tim Challies is a Christian author, publisher, blogger. He wrote a series of blog posts earlier this year that I found very helpful. I think he's even done some over the last few months. And It's a series on false teachers. And what I found very helpful about what he did is, first of all, I kind of talked about false teachers throughout church history, and not just not just their heresy, but but kind of how they taught and who they were and and what was heretical about what they taught, what was disqualifying about their ministry because of what they taught. And then he also kind of brought that into the contemporary era and talked about how some current teachers are, are false teachers, and, and here's why they're false teachers. What's, here's what's false about what they're teaching, and here's what about their life disqualifies them from ministry. It was a very helpful series of posts, in my opinion, but as anyone with a minimal amount of predictive ability would have guessed, it was controversial, right? Uh, some people took exception with some of the things that, that Chalice wrote. In fact, he wrote one blog article on the prosperity, health, and wealth gospel teacher, Creflo Dollar, that megachurch uh, health and wealth gospel guy. And here's what, uh, here's what someone wrote in response underneath the article he wrote. One, one commentator said this, very upset at what Chalice had written. They said, Christians need to start loving each other and stop trying to shoot down people that are different in the way they do things. God loves every person, and everyone Jesus saves 
He has a plan and purpose for their life. Quit condemning and start praying for Cruffalo Dollar and any other people you're choosing to name and shame. Love will conquer and forgiveness is the basis of the gospel and the reason any of us have a relationship with God. And someone said, Amen. These Christians tearing down ministers is disgusting and you should all repent. Now, what are we to make of that? What this person said in, in response to Charlie's, a lot of it is, is very true, right? I mean, it's true that Christians should love each other. It's true that we shouldn't shoot down people who are different in the way that we do things, right? I mean, those are true statements. It's true that Jesus loves everyone that he, he saved and has a plan for their life. I mean, all those things are true statements. Where I think we would differ is our application of those truths, Right? Let's think about it this way. There is diversity at Bethany Community Church. I I hope. There should be. There is. I know there is. Cultural diversity in terms of of, of preferences. and There's diversity in a lot of different areas. There's even differences of opinion on on aspects of the Christian life or what to do in different areas of our life. So, for example, when it comes to how our finances should be spent, there are different convictions that exist in this body. When it comes to dating, there are differences of opinion. I saw some some interesting posts in Facebook this last week of an article that came out, and some people, this is a great article. Some people said, this is a terrible article. There's differences on dating. That's okay. There's differences when it comes to how to educate our children. There's differences when it comes to how to just parent in general. And, you know, the cool thing is, not only, it's funny, and you know who you, we all know who we are. Uh, not only are there differences in opinion in how to do certain things, there's differences of opinion as to how important those differences are right? I mean, not only do I have this opinion perhaps about, let's take schooling, about what to do with my child in school, I have this opinion, and maybe you have this opinion, but you think that this is an incredibly important opinion, and I'm like, eh. You know, really, my only conviction in parenting that stayed the same throughout the years is that I'm doing it wrong. At least, that's the only one I'll say out loud. My other conviction is that you're doing it wrong too, but I would never say that publicly, right? No, we, we all need God's grace, right? We all need God's grace. And, and I'm, I'm, being a little, I'm, I'm making a little light of some things that I know are very important. I don't mean to, to do that. But my, my point is that we have differences of opinion, and, and it's absolutely true. We should love each other. And I think, I think even one of the reasons that God has, has made us different is to force us to see that our unity isn't based on our cultural preferences or our, even our, our strong opinions about gray areas. Our unity is based in Jesus Christ. Our unity is in him, our adherence to the the core truths about who he is. Now that being said, there is an issue that we're talking about this morning where we can't allow for a great deal of diversity. And it's in the area of, of false teachers. And that's where the application, the person who's making the comment, that's where the application is wrong. 
it's not enough for a person just to stand up and say, hey, I'm a Christian, let me kind of share some things with you. We have the responsibility before God to test people who would claim to speak for him. And what I hope happens this morning and next week as we look at these six verses, we're really only going to get through one verse this morning and kind of talk about some applications of it. But there's kind of several things that I hope that you and I become unified on or, or confirm our unity in some things that we talked about this morning. One is the reality of false teachers. That we would all say, you know what, we agree that, that there are false teachers out there. There are people who say some things about Jesus and about God and his character and will that are simply not true. So I'd hope we'd agree on the reality of false teachers. I hope we would agree on the danger that false teachers present. That they present a, a real, clear, and present danger to the church. I hope that we'd agree not just on the reality and the danger of false teachers, but on the characteristics of false teachers. We'll talk about some of them this morning, but we're going to really delve into that even more next week, the the characteristics of false teachers. And then finally, how we respond to false teachers, I hope we have unity on. So here's a false teacher, what do we do? Do we blow the false teacher whistle? Do we sound the fire alarm? I mean, how do we respond to false teachers that exist in Christendom. I hope that we can develop the type of unity that we need to on this issue. And what I think we're going to see, the main thing that I want you to grasp as we go through this text, is simply, you must proactively, you must proactively evaluate the doctrine and ministry of teachers. You must proactively evaluate the doctrine of mini- and ministry of those who claim to speak for Christ. You have a handout there. We're not going to be able to get through that handout this morning. We're really only going to talk about that first point. And so, you know, if you're a person who says, I, I can't sleep at night not knowing what those blanks are, that's it, okay? It's going to be doctrine and ministry, evaluating a teacher's doctrine and evaluating a teacher's ministry. So those are the tests that we're going to look at next week, the characteristics we have to consider. But again, big picture, you have a responsibility at Bethany Community Church to proactively evaluate the doctrine and the ministry of those who claim to speak for Christ. So let's look here at the text here, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. And let's first of all look at what I think 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 is telling us, and that is the call to test teachers. That there is a call that God has given each of us here in this church to test teachers. Listen to what John writes. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So notice he says here in verse 1, beloved, and that means it's, it's referring to each of us. We see other places in Scripture, for example, Acts chapter 20, that the leaders of a church have a special responsibility to evaluate the the teaching of people who come into the church. But it's not just the responsibility of the elders. It's not just my responsibility as a teaching pastor to, to evaluate every teaching that comes into Bethany Community Church. There is a responsibility that the beloved have, that every person who is a follower of Jesus Christ has to evaluate the truthfulness of 
teaching. He says uh, a negative command and then a positive aspect. So it's one instruction, but there's a negative aspect to it and then a positive aspect of it. He says, do not believe every spirit. And he says, why is he using the word spirit there? Well, look back. We said we'd talk about this. Look at verse 24 of chapter 3, right before we get to verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God abides in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Those who are in relationship with God, who affirm the right things about who God is and have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, abide in God and the spirit abides in them them as well. The Holy Spirit abides and, and dwells the believer. That's one spirit that exists in the world. But there's also a spirit that here in this text, John refers to as the spirit of the Antichrist. It's the deceptive spirit that we've talked about before as John's been going through and and talking to us about the the deceptive spirit of the Antichrist in chapters 2 and 3. What this means is that when a person teaches, they either teach the things that God would have them teach in line with the core truths of who God is, his character and will, or they teach things that are deceptive, that are part of the, what John has called the spirit of the Antichrist, of, of those who would oppose God's kingdom plan. Those who would seek to deceive people intentionally or unintentionally about God's character and will, and would work to destroy the lives of others, intentionally or unintentionally. But really, those are the two options. When a person stands up before you, or in a small group with you, or in a conversation with you, and claims to to say things that are are biblical, there's really only one of two spirits that are informing the things that they're saying. And you can't assume that simply because a person uses some biblical jargon that that spirit that's influencing what they are saying is from God. And so, hence this instruction, test your teachers. Again, there's a negative side to it and a, and a positive side. He says, and, and the, the negative side is don't believe every spirit. In other words, don't just assume that everything you hear is true. And I would argue in the current contemporary evangelical church, that the default is this, this attitude of, of trust. Hey, if a person stands up and, and says they're from God, if someone else kind of vouches for them, I'm just going to assume that, that they're, they're speaking from God, and, and I'm not really, I don't want to be negative and, and say anything detrimental about them or their ministry. It's kind of the, the cultural climate, uh, climate in which we find ourselves. In fact, a friend sent me an article this last week on, on characteristics of millennials, and one of the characteristics of millennials is this desire for unity. Now, that desire for unity is a, a great desire, right? It's a, a biblical desire. However, if unity trumps doctrine, we've got a problem. Don't, he says, don't believe every spirit. Don't just be gullibly uh, duped into believing everything that everyone says. Now, here's the positive aspect of the command. He says, but test the spirits. And that word test means to, to, to watch closely. It means to examine carefully, to put to the test. Paul uses it, for example, in Galatians 6, 4, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself, not in his neighbor. First Timothy 3, 10, Paul's talking about 
about deacons and a person serving as a deacon. He says, let them be tested first and, and then and then let them serve as a deacon if they prove themselves blameless. And so here's a person that's about to be put in a position of leadership in a church. And, and Paul says, don't just, don't just put them in that position of leadership. Test them. Allow their life and their doctrine and their character to be examined carefully before you place them in that position of leadership. If a person is going to have the privilege of proclaiming God's word in a teaching capacity, that person needs to be tested. You should never presume upon yourself to take upon the mantle of teaching apart from other people confirming that. And as a person comes before you to to have the audacity to proclaim God's word, you should test them. People have sometimes asked me, Daniel, when did you first know that you wanted to be a pastor? And I've said, I'll let you know when that happens. It's a joyful job, and I'm glad that I have it, but the, the, the phrase want doesn't always describe my relationship with pastoral ministry. It's, 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 a, it's a joyful responsibility that I, I want in the sense that I'm, I'm glad I am where God would have me be, but there's, there's a solemnness to it too, right? A weight. I didn't know that I was supposed to be a pastor, I guess you could say, until, until I was ordained. I'd been serving in a church for, for several years, and at some point after I finished seminary, the, the church leadership approached me about ordination, so we talked about it, and there was this process of me, of me praying about it, leaders praying about it, and then there was this, this, this uh, period of testing. They, they sat down with me, and kind of, there was a group of people watching this as well, and they asked me questions about my doctrine. They asked me questions about my life, about my philosophy of ministry. And it was just this, this long, grueling process of, 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 of testing me. And it wasn't until those guys said, yeah, we, we believe that God has ordained you for gospel ministry that I felt, okay, I, I feel comfortable pursuing gospel teaching ministry. You and I have the responsibility to, to test ourselves, to test others, to, to test teachers. Examine carefully. Now, why does John say that we have this responsibility? Look at what he says next. So, don't believe every spirit. Don't just say, well, this person's teaching them. Assume that it's the Spirit of God uh, helping them do this. And instead he says, don't, don't do that. Instead, test the spirits to see whether they're from God. And, and he's going to tell us how to do that in just a moment. But first he gives us the reason. Why would we be so critical? He says, well, because many false prophets have gone out. That is that perfect tense. It's something that's happened in the past that has present fruit. There have been many false prophets who have in the past gone out and are currently in the world, and it's influencing the church. How dangerous are these false prophets? Let me read you something Ian Murray wrote in the book Evangelicalism Divided. He said, The idea that Christianity stands chiefly in danger from the forces of materialism or from secular philosophy or from pagan religions is not the teaching of the New Testament. In other words, the idea that, that Christianity were in, were in real danger from the government or we're in real danger from liberals or conservatives or are in real danger from these, these philosophical systems out in the world... The idea that that's our chief danger is not the teaching of the New Testament. 
writes Murray. So, so what is the chief danger that faces the church? Well, here's what Murray argues. He says, the greatest danger comes rather from temptations within, from temptations within, and from those who using the name of Christ are instruments of Satan to lead men to believe a lie and to worship what in reality belongs to the demonic. That's a strong statement. But I believe that he's, he's correct. The primary danger to Bethany Community Church in terms of us being a faithful, gospel-proclaiming, Christ-centered church, the primary danger does not lie from whatever presidential administration and what they're, they're doing. It doesn't lie in whatever is happening in the homeschool community, the, the, the public school community, the private school community, that the primary danger doesn't lie outside of our walls in terms of us being faithful to, to do what God has called us to do. The primary danger lies within in us believing wrong things about who God is and what his will for us is. Thus the importance of testing teachers. Let me give you some characteristics of of false prophets. He says, uh, test the spirits from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so, if John is correct, that means currently there are false prophets who are out there. And, and you and I have the responsibility to, to test, to, to see who these false prophets are, or if a person is a false prophet. And what we're going to do, really, is, is just kind of talk about some characteristics. And, and let me tell you a couple things about the characteristics I'm giving you. First of all, this isn't every characteristic possible of every false teacher who exists. We don't have the time this morning. And also, it's not, um, it's not that every false teacher will possess every characteristic. You don't say, well, this person who's teaching, uh, they only had four of these characteristics, so four out of ten isn't so bad. I think I could follow this person. No, one characteristic alone is disqualifying, right? It's also, I think, important for us to understand as we look through this list that, that um, there's going to be some overlap. And as I get into specific examples, there, there may be some disagreement with some of the illustrations I give, but I hope we can at least give, give uh, assent to the, fa- the fact that we are unified on the principles. Let me, let, me give some, let me give some of these characteristics. Number one, and I believe this is the defining characteristic of false teachers. Number one, they twist Scripture and deceive people about God's character and will. They twist Scripture and deceive people about God's character and His will. So, for example, Acts 20, verse 30, Paul says, From among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Jude 4 describes this. He says there are going to be people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. In other words, they're going to to come in and they're going to teach things that are true. 
in a sense that they're going to talk about the grace of God, which is a true thing. Is God a gracious God? Absolutely. But they're going to take that which is true and, and twist it into something that is not true. And it's going to sometimes be very, very subtle. So here's God's grace, and they're talking about God's grace and his kindness, his love, his forgiveness. And then they're going to say, and so it's okay to live these sensual lifestyles, to live this lawless lifestyle. They're going to pervert what is something good and twist it into something evil. They're perverting our understanding of God and his character, right? I can remember the first time, you know, thankfully this guy isn't a very popular figure in most circles any longer, but I can remember the first time I was exposed to, to Rob Bell in kind of my mid-20s, early 30s. He was, you know, huge. And I remember the first time I watched a Rob Bell video, and, and well, I watched a couple of them, and, you know, I watched the first one, like, you know, this, is, this isn't so bad. This is good, good, good stuff. Not how I'd present it, perhaps, but, but, but not, nothing bad. And then I watched this, this next video, and I can still remember it's called Bullhorn Guy, or The Bullhorn, or something like that. And it's this, it's, you know, Rob Bell's talking in, in a, I mean, Let's be honest, Rob Bell is a very sharp-looking guy, you know, a very cool guy. And, and then, uh, then he shows, as he's talking about uh, th- th- this, talking through this video, he cuts away to another figure, and this guy is kind of a nerdy-looking guy. And I won't describe what he looks like because it might hit too close to home. Uh, but here's the here's bullhorn guy, and he describes bullhorn guy as a guy standing on the street corner preaching using a bullhorn. And he talks about the words that bullhorn guy is using, judgment and hell and condemnation, things like that. And what it is, it's, it's a very subtle, although also kind of very blatant attack on these aspects of God's character that are, are inevitable results of him being a righteous God. The reality that God is also a God who's going to judge. The reality that hell is, is a true place. False teachers twist Scripture. They take things that are true and twist them to deceive people about God's character and about His will. A second characteristic of false teachers is is that they have seemingly fruitful ministries at times that that ultimately lead to idolatry. How often have you heard someone say, well, that person, they can't be off because look at all the good that they've done or or look at how how successful their ministry, look at how large their church is or large their influence is, so so surely they can't be wrong. I want you to read read something with me in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Moses says something wrong incredibly remarkable about a false prophet. He says in verse 1, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. In other words, here's this, this guy, and he says something, and it's, it's remarkable, and it comes true, or he does some sort of, of wondrous sign, and it's not that it fails. We know what to do if a prophet prophesies something and it doesn't come true. We know that guy's a false prophet, but he says some false prophets are going to say something remarkable, and those things are going to come true. And then, it, then he says this, and after that happens, he says to you, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to, that, to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. The Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Do you see his point there? Sometimes false prophets are going to have very fruitful ministries. But ultimately, these ministries are going to lead to idolatry. They're going to lead to a person 
believing things about God that are not true. If you're, you're there in Deuteronomy 13, earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses describes idolatry, and we see that the essence of idolatry is calling something God that isn't God. And so often, false prophets are going to say some things that seem very remarkable, but as they describe God, they are not describing God as he has revealed himself in Scripture. They are describing a false God, an idolatrous God. That's what false teachers do. They have fruitful ministries that ultimately lead to idolatry, even though they look so good. Such men are false apostles, says Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, Deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. They look so good and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And then here's a sobering word. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Third characteristic, false prophets. Their character contradicts their message. Their character contradicts their message. In 2 Peter, Peter talks about false prophets and teachers in 2 Peter 2. And as he talks about these guys, you see that they are... um, you see that they're they're sensual, they're 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 perverted, they're they're greedy, they're immoral. He talks about all these all these character traits: eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. They're they're waterless springs, mist driven on by a storm. He goes on and just describes these these guys. Even even at times when a false teacher's the content of the, the, the words that they're saying, even when those are true, their character contradicts their message. And beloved, there is huge danger, listen to this, there is huge danger in following a person who's speaking right doctrine but has character that contradicts that message. There's a huge danger in following a dynamic leader who says great things but his, his leadership style fails to reflect the servant leadership that Christ has called him to. I can remember a few years ago, there's, there's a, a man who's a pastor in the Seattle area who's caused a lot of controversy recently. And I can remember years ago talking about this guy with, with my dad, and, and uh, Tim Challies writes about this as well in a, an article recently he, he wrote entitled Character is King. And I remember talking to my dad about this guy, and my dad had, 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 you know, I had some misgivings about him, but I said, you know, but what he's saying is so true, and he's reaching people that we can't reach, that I haven't been able to reach, and, and so I kind of rejoice in that. And my, and my dad, you know, he, he kind of said, well, look, look at what he's doing. Look at how he's doing it. Look at his character, and th- this isn't going to end well. And, and several people who were a little older than myself said that and turned out to be exactly right. The character of a false teacher contradicts their message. They discourage that their character contradicts their message. So, so false teachers are twisting scripture. They have fruitful ministries that ultimately lead to idolatry. Their character contradicts their message. And the next we see they, they discourage people from seeking God through scripture. In their ministries, they, instead of pointing people to God and his word, they actually turn people away from 
his word. Now, let me give you kind of an illustration of this, and, and you may disagree with this illustration, and, and that's okay. I know they're, they're, uh, you can agree on the principle if you disagree with this example. There are some, some very godly people who would uh, disagree with me on, on this, but I believe that one example of, of this is the, the, um, the books about people traveling to heaven and, and coming back. Maybe you've read some of these, and, and, and they vary in how dangerous they are, the, the different books, but Sometimes I believe that, that first of all, the, these books concern me because the, the description of heaven doesn't always mesh with what Scripture describes as heaven. But secondly, and, and this, is, uh, this is a little bit more subtle, but I think more serious, these, these books describe heaven in a way that, that people turn to these books to help them understand God and His character and His will in regards to heaven as opposed to, to coming to Scripture that has everything we need for life and godliness and our understanding of the afterlife. In fact, in Isaiah, and I would just caution you with this, I would just caution you with this, in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19, listen to what the prophet Isaiah says. He says, When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers, that's people who talk to the dead, people who chirp and mutter, he says, Should not a people inquire of their God? In other words, who is the right person to go to to understand death and, and the resurrection? Is it, is it the dead or is it God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? He says, no, they, sh- they should inquire of God. And I believe one of the, perhaps for some people, unintended consequences of these books is that it causes them not to inquire of God, but to seek their solace, their encouragement in other sources. Something to think about there. Another characteristic of these false teachers is that they serve themselves at the expense of their, the sheep. You can write down Ezekiel 34 that describes these, these wicked shepherds that, that basically instead of watching the lame, that they eat the sheep. And number six, they, they create division. They create division, these, these false teachers. And sometimes it's through their selfishness. We see that in Romans 16. Sometimes it's through their desire to be just argumentative. 1 Timothy chapter 1 Verses 4 through 7 describe these, these argumentative false teachers. It talks about people have wandered into vain discussions. They, they desire to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. There are going to be people who come into your life that all they want to do is argue about silly things. Stay away. Stay away. Seven, seven characteristic here. They, they reject good teaching. They reject good teaching. Isaiah 30.10 talks about people who say to the seers, do not see, to the prophets, do not prophesy. False teachers, as they come into contact with good teaching, reject it. Eighth characteristic here, eighth thought here, is that these false teachers lead people into apostasy, into falling away from right understanding of who God is in relationship with Him. It's inevitable Jesus in Matthew 24 says, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Another characteristic of false teachers is that their end is bad. It doesn't end well for the false teacher. Jude talks about people who long ago were designated for condemnation. 
that's not a good thing. And then lastly, the last thing I want you to think about how this relates to us. Not only is their end bad, but their followers' end is bad also. Paul tells Timothy that some have shipwrecked their faith. He talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says they've swerved from the truth. They've said the resurrection has already happened. And they are, they're upsetting the faith of some. The false teacher's end is bad. Their followers' end is bad. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in Christ's church. It's why we have to be vigilant in this area. This isn't a, a fun thing to talk about. It can be a very controversial thing to talk about. We'll continue talking about it next week. But, but it's crucial, and, and Christ's church needs to understand how crucial it is. At the Council of Nicaea in, in 325 A.D., it, it's said that whenever uh, Arius was, they, they, were de, de, they were debating Arianism, this, this belief taught by Arius and his followers that Jesus wasn't fully God, that he wasn't completely God, that, that God had, had created him at, before the rest of creation, but still that, that, that Christ was a created being. And they, they began to, just do, uh, even though it was an eternity past, he was still a creation. So um, as Eusebius begins to read Arianism, this, this heresy of Arianism, it said that the, the church council, that the people who were there, they hadn't fully understood the issues that were at stake, but as they heard what Arius was actually teaching, as a group, they began to stand up and, and shout, no, and cover their ears, and someone, it said, went and, and grabbed the manuscript that Eusebius was reading from and, and tore it up and, and stomped on it. There was, there was this right recognition that Failing to rightly teach who Jesus is was not some minor doctrinal issue, but it was crucial to know who Jesus was, that he was fully God. In fact, there's another story, and I don't know how true this is, but it's said that Bishop Nicholas from the area of, of Turkey, who, who, was, who we now know as Saint Nick, or Santa, the person who Santa Claus was based on, it said that, that, that Saint Nick was there as well. Nicholas was there, and, and he was, was debating with Arius, and was, was so infuriated with this heresy that he, that he punched Arius in the nose. To get Santa Claus to punch you is a big deal. There's the nice list, the naughty list, and the heretic list. You don't want to be on the heretic list. Now, it's the same story. It talks about how, Ari, how uh, Nicholas repented. That's not the right way to deal with heretics and false teachers. To clarify... It's a big deal, but it's a big deal. People's eternal destinies are at stake in believing and affirming the truth about who Jesus is. 